Well, Terry, if you need some examples of bad advice, you can ask my wife. She could give you 100,000 things that I have said. <laughs> or my kids. Kids especially. Hey, Whitney, you can jump off of that. Are you sure, Dad? Oh, yeah. It'll be fine. Not so much. And my, my brother, uh, when we were kids, I had a bunk bed. Anybody else have bunk beds? Bunk beds were the best. We were up on the top bunk, and, and uh, we had a rocking chair down below. And, and I said, hey, man, I bet you can fly down to that rocking chair. And he said, you think so? I said, yeah. And so he gave it a shot, and he flew, it, it seemed, for seconds until he plowed into that rocking chair and busted his arm. It's no good. Bad advice. Yeah, bad advice. So anyway, we'll talk. Terry, we'll, we'll chat. Chat about this whole thing. Anyway. Yeah, so we're going to be finishing up uh, a three-part series. This could be a seven-part series very easily, but I'm leaving you guys with some homework. All right, are you ready for it? We've talked about three things that we're to add to our faith that Peter tells us in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. What I want to ask you guys to do as, as we finish up today, get into this chapter and verse. Look at the other things that Peter says that we're to add to our faith. And I want you to send me an email, seth at crossroads.life, and, and put in there what do you think it means when we should add to and look at the other, the other four or five things that are listed uh, that we haven't talked about yet. And if you have some ideas, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you, okay? All right, well, like I said, we're going to be finishing up our series on, uh, that we've titled Faith Plus. This is things that Peter said that we're to add to our faith. And once again, Peter was in his last months before he would go to be home with the Lord. This is a section that's come to be known as Peter's Ladder of Faith. And again, these aren't just random things that we're supposed to put along with our faith. These are a list of things that are very specifically stacking on top of one another to, to add power and authority to our faith. They, there's, there's a result that Peter talks about that we're going to get into in just a few minutes of why we're adding these things. But first, let's do some reading. If you're with me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm going to pause right there. It says that, Peter says that, that in Christ we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. And there's a very specific reason why, why Peter put this part in here. It sounds really good. It sounds like one of those Bible tweets, doesn't it? I mean, we could like take this little sentence, chop it out of there and say, I've, I, God's given me everything that I need. But the reason this is here is because at the time of the early church, there were, there were people who were constantly infiltrating the church and bringing all sorts of undermining doctrines that were essentially said, you need to do some other stuff. Jesus is good, but you need to add something to that, like circumcision, right? Jesus is good, but you need to add some, a little bit of the law. You need to add a little bit of this or a little bit of that because Jesus 
is good, but he's just not quite good enough to get you there. And so what Peter is saying is, it's phony baloney, right? He's saying, in Christ, you have all the things that you need for life and godliness, right? You have everything you need in your pursuit of God. You have everything you need for, for, for an abundant life, and it's all found in Christ, right? So if anybody ever tells you there is something you need besides Christ, that's what Peter's addressing right here, and it's what? Phony baloney. All right. Spiritual word. Phony baloney. All right, we're going to keep moving. It says, Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust, right? And this, this word lust is talking about the desire for stuff, the desire to make ourselves great. We've escaped that because we're looking ahead to the promises that God has for us instead of looking at the stuff that we can just have or do or make for ourselves, right? The last couple of weeks, we've spent some time reading over maybe five or six different promises that are found in Scripture. And there, there are hundreds and hundreds of promises that God has for you. So I wanted to pause for just a minute and just throw this out there. I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot or embarrass you too much. But how many of you have a promise that God has given you specifically? Who's brave? I see one hand. Anybody else? Who, who's God given you a specific promise? That's awesome. That is outstanding. Anybody want to share it? Uh Uh-huh, throwing it out there. All right, I I won't put you on the spot too much, but listen, hold on to that tightly. God has given you promises. And I encouraged you last week, get a notebook, start in the book of Genesis, and just on the top of your notebook, just write promises. And start keeping a list as you read through your Bible of the promises that God has for you, right? And God has, there are, like I said, there are hundreds of these things, some that are specifically for you, as a, as a believer, as, as part of the body of Christ, and some are specific to somebody else, but the important thing to remember, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his character remains the same, and his promises remain for you, all right? All right, let's keep moving. Down in uh, verse 5, it says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and he's forgotten that he was cleansed from, from a past life of sin. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. We're going to pause right there. So the first week we talked about adding to our faith. We talked about adding something to our faith. What was the first thing we talked about? Virtue, right? A morally excellent life. We talked about adding a morally excellent life to our faith. And again, it is not about legalism. It's not about rules, right? Adding a morally excellent life is not about living by a set of rules. It is about living led by the Holy Spirit. We're free from the law, right? The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? It's not bondage. 
It's not, it's not having to adhere to rules. It's, it's adhering now to the way the Spirit would direct us, being led by, our, by the Holy Spirit and by a clean conscience, right? It's not, it's not about legalism. The, the second week, we added to our, knowledge, or to, our, to our virtue, we added knowledge because people are going to ask you, about the change that's going on in your life, when they begin to see a morally excellent life come out in you because of your faith, what are they going to see? They're going to see things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, right? Those things, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're going to see those things start to come out. When they see them, they're going to say one of two things. The first thing may be, well, you think you're better than me. We talked about that last week, right? But eventually that's going to lead to the, real, the deeper question, hey, what's different? What's going on? And the Bible says that we need to be able to have an answer for the hope that lies within us, don't we? Right? We want to have a hope. That's why we're adding knowledge. We talked about three things that every Christian, every person, everyone should know. The first one is that God loves you. God absolutely loves you. Number two, that he has a purpose for you. And number three, remembers what number three was? That he's gone ahead and prepared a place for you. He has a destiny for you. So today we're going uh, to be adding something else. But, but, but let's talk about our goal. The goal is we can see it in verse 8 and 10. It says that we're, by the time this is all done, Peter's goal for us is that we would walk confidently in God's promises. Right? Not just read them but own them confidently. That, that these things that we're practicing, adding to our faith diligently, that they'd be yours, right? Because you're going to work, we're going to work hard at them diligently. And then when we, when we get good at these things, we're going to own them. They're part of our, our repertoire, right? They're part of our bag, right? These things are ours. Peter's saying you got to own these things. He's saying that, that, um, that these things would be yours, you'd be fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus. Not just know stuff, but it would produce something in your life. Right? That's what it means to be fruitful. So, and then also that your, your faith would be solid. Anybody ever have a wavering faith? I know I have. I know there's times in my life where my faith was just kind of like, you know? And, and Peter gave us this list because he wants our faith to be solid and grounded. And he says that if you, if you do these things, that your faith will, will you'll never stumble. So today we're going to be adding something. We're going to be adding self-control to knowledge because God wants your success to shine in dark places. God wants your success to absolutely shine for the lost. What am I saying by that? Hey, Martha, this guy's teaching about this prosperity doctrine like they do on TV. No, it's not it. Listen to the rest of the message because that's not where we're heading. Listen, prosperity and, and success look completely different from God's perspective and our perspective. Right? And so I want to talk to you about, about success today and where that comes from. But we're going to talk about, listen, without self-control, we can't be successful in any area of our life. Success comes with self-control. It starts with self-control. So, anyway, I've got a short video for you. Let's check this out real fast. For 
maybe if you look inside yourself, the person you should be most angry at is you. You. How have you been feeling? Any more control issues? In control. Good. Danny. Excellent. It's me. Kermit. Hey, we're having a meeting here, man. You're being really rude, Frog. Uh, pardon us, please. Uh, animal, I need to talk to you for a second. We're, we're getting the Muppets back together. We need you to drum again. Animal drum? Yes. Please, sir. Drum! 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 In control. Good. I'm Animal's court-appointed sponsor. We don't use the D-R-U-M word. It's his trigger word. His trigger word? Um, excuse me, Mr. Black, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but it's very important to these guys that they get their drummer back. Yeah. Oh, Gary! It's my trigger word, too. Jack, we talked about this on Tuesday. Tuesday's another one of my trigger words! Oh, I don't think so! Sorry. What's going on, animal? Animal, heal! Go, animal, be free, man! But remember... No drumming! <laughs> no drumming! Yeah, I love that. So, uh, yeah, I have no idea how this applies to the message. I just found it and thought it was really funny. Now, God wants us to be free, doesn't he? Right? I love how this ends. Be free, man. Just remember, no drumming. Right? He goes, it goes, it goes off on that. But, but listen, God wants us to be free. And what Peter's expressing and what he says about self-control is that See, these things are compounding in strength as you continue to apply these things to your faith. But the thing is, when, when we know a whole bunch of stuff, see, we don't just know things for the sake of having a, a bigger head, do we? Like last week we talked about, we know so that we can go, right? But as we go and, and we, we know more things, we're able to, to give an answer for the hope that lies in us, we need to understand that self, if we don't apply self-control, see, with, with knowledge comes responsibility, right? We've all heard that before. With knowledge comes responsibility. We have to know when it's appropriate to say certain things. We have to know what's appropriate to do and how we should live to honor the Lord and honor the people that are around us. But again, it's not about rules. It's not about controlling us. It's about being free and being able to operate in the Spirit of God. So I was, uh, I, I was looking for a video to, to put on, to, to, to attach to this message, and you guys have probably done the same thing, but I sat there, I got on my computer, and I thought, I'm going to find a video that fits with this message. Self-control, man, this is going to be perfect. And I sat down on my computer, and I got on YouTube, and I started typing, and next thing I know, like two hours went by, and I was like watching things that a northern pike can eat, Right? <laughs> And I'm like, hey, kids, you got to see this. Come here. This is this pike, man. He like, swallows a whole boat oar. And after two hours, I had no progress whatsoever <laughs> on the direction I was headed. Right? I totally got sidetracked by, by not being disciplined in what I was trying to do. And, I mean, we always, I find myself doing this stuff all the time. Things that I don't want to be doing, I find myself doing. Anybody in the same boat with me or am I all alone? Right? I, I was sitting there and, and, and just totally lost. And next thing I know, I come across this, I, I, I got back on track, I come across this video, and I'm like, sweet, the Muppets! I love the Muppets! 
So I had to put it in the put it in the thing, right? But uh, let's let's talk for just a minute about about uh, what does Paul have to say about self, the idea, the topic of self control. First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven says this. It says, "Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win." All athletes are disciplined in their training, and they do it to win a prize that will not fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. And then and there's, there's this little part here, it says, in this translation, it says, but I'm not, I'm not just shadow boxing. Essentially what, but what Peter, or what Paul is saying is that he doesn't run uncontrollably, flailing his arms around and tripping all over the place. But he, he disciplines his body, is what it says here in verse 27, like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. See, Paul isn't talking about being disqualified from his faith. He's talking about being disqualified from an effective ministry by not disciplining himself to, to do what he knows he should. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And, and what Solomon is writing about here is that here's the city that's been, the walls have been knocked down, it's been ransacked, there's probably smoke coming out of this place, right? like a, like a village that's just been, been taken over. Protection isn't the issue. It's that when now people walk by and see this city that's been ransacked and the walls knocked down, People now go by the city and they, they shake their heads in shame. Like, man, what's what happened here? Right? And and so essentially what this is saying is that have, have you ever seen uh for instance uh a man with wandering eyes? Right? The guy who who can't seem to look above here, ladies, right? Anybody ever seen a guy like that before? We all know him, we remember him, don't we? Because we might go up and shake somebody's hand and think, oh, this is, this is, here's somebody I can respect. All of a sudden, the respect level plummets, doesn't it? Something happens. Or how about the person at work that shares a little bit too much information? Anybody know someone like that? Somebody with anger problems, maybe compulsions, addictions, can't say no, not having boundaries. What about the person who, who says that they're a Christian, who maybe is, sets more of an example of what we don't want to be like? Right? We know people like this. In fact, I, I, I uh, went to a, a business probably 10 years ago because the business had like the fish logo on the door of the business, right? And I went in there thinking, here's somebody who's a, a fellow believer, and, and they're going to treat me right. And I went in there, and, and man, I got hosed. It was no good, and I thought, man, this is a this this person was was it just did not go well. But let me tell you, there's some some business owners who love Jesus. In fact, I'll, I'll even throw a pitch, man. Ike, he's not even here right now. Owns an auto shop down the road. This guy loves the Lord. He is a man of integrity and operates his business as such, right? That's the kind of example that we want to follow. But these, these other examples are examples of where self-control has, has gone to the wayside. And I, I, I want to get off on a, a bunny trail for just a minute, a really short one, 
right? A really short one. And, and, it, and it's this. Somehow we've applied uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 where it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He who, uh, uh, those who do, God will not hold them guiltless. Listen, we've somehow taken that and twisted it to be uh, something about profanity, right? That if we use the office of the creator-sustainer God as profanity, well, that's blasphemy. When the reality of it is, uh, that passage is talking about the way that we live. When we take the name of somebody, for instance, you, you've probably seen old movies where there's castles and knights and all that kind of stuff, and somebody goes to the king and says, or goes to somebody and, and says, hey, I, I come to you in the name of the king, right? Makes sense? They're coming as a representative of the king. That's what God is talking about in the Ten Commandments, that when we take the name of the Lord our God in vain, it's when we go and we live in a way as, a, as we declare that we're a representative of heaven and we go and live as though we are misrepresenting the living God. That's what this is referring to. Why would that be such a, such a big deal? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus came with a purpose to seek and save that which was lost. Right? And that is his purpose for sending Christ. His motivation was out of love. And, and, and as a person who follows after God, follows after Christ, I want to make sure that my example represents heaven every opportunity that I have. Right? Because it's important to God. In fact, that, that scripture in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5 declares that that is such a high, high priority. Right? Because God loves the lost. But again, this is this is issues of self-control. We have to be able to control the way we act, what we say, what we do, and how we do it. Because what what happens is we we recognize when we see people that live lives like this, and I am guilty of it, right? That we lose our credibility, don't we? When when our lives look like this, our credibility begins to take to take a dive. Let's take a look at a, an example in Scripture real quick. This is uh, 2 King, Kings chapter 5, and it says this, Now Naaman, a commander of the armies of the king, king of Assyria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So here's this guy who is, his, is this army commander, Right, probably, I don't know, you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator? Right, probably looked like that dude, right? All stacked and carried a big sword with him all the time. But the problem was, he had leprosy. And this goes on to say that they had gone out and done some raids in Israel and captured a young girl who had become a servant in his house. And this girl knew of Naaman's leprosy, and she said to him one day, Hey, you know... uh, if only we were in Israel, you could go see the man of God, and, man, he would just hook you right up. He'd just clear that stuff right up for you. And Naaman's like, what? Serious? So he goes to, to, to his king and says, hey, I heard about this thing. And so the king writes a letter to the king of Israel that, that says this. It says, now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may heal him of his leprosy, right? This is a letter the king gets, 
And he reads this letter and is like, that's ridiculous. I can't heal anybody. This guy wants to start a war. Well, Elijah essentially communicates to the king of Israel, when Amon gets there, send him to me. We'll take care of it. That way he will, they will know that there is a God in Israel. And so Naaman shows up to, to Elijah's house, and there's his servants knock on the door, and, he, and he, he's going big, right? He shows up with all sorts of camels and horses, and he's got gold and silver and a bunch of extra clothing and, and stuff to give as gifts, right? So he shows up, knocks on the door, and a servant comes to the door and says, uh, Hey, tell Naaman to go, go down to the Jordan and dip himself in the water seven times. He'll be good. And the servant's like, okay, closes the door, goes back to, to Naaman. And, and it, it tells us here, let's take a look. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over me and over this place and heal the leprosy. He thought there was going to be this big show. It didn't go the way that he had planned. Ever happened to you? Man, it happens to me all the time. It doesn't go the way that I want it to. And so the Bible tells us just a, sh- a short time after this that he goes away in a rage. Man, he had a fit. He, ha- he had a big night, probably swung his sword around, probably, yeah, I won't even get into it. But. So his servant goes to him and says, hey, Naaman, you know, in, in, in you know, all respect, if you would have done all that stuff, you'd have been totally cool with it. But here he's just asking you to do this simple thing. Don't you think it'd be wise to do? I mean, here's somebody who came alongside this guy and, and who was just about to, to, to leave and told him, you know, listen to this guy. So he goes and he does it, right? And the Bible tells us he was healed of his leprosy. He was healed, right? Listen, Naaman was in the right place at the right time with the wrong attitude, and it almost cost him something of the miraculous in his life. It almost cost him. There are examples throughout Scripture of of self-control issues that cost somebody. Moses is a tremendous example. Look into it sometime. I'm sure we'll teach about it sometime. Abraham, right? set an awesome example of self-control. He was asked to sacrifice his son. God had another plan in store, right? It it wasn't about going and killing his son. We'll talk about that another time. But self-control, right? There there are so many examples we could talk about of self-control in Scripture. But we can be in the right place, the right time, with the wrong attitude, the wrong, wrong, uh, allowing our circumstances to dictate how we respond but we need to respond the way we know the Spirit's leading us to respond, right? So another example attached to this, Elijah's servant, Gehazi. So so Naaman shows up and says, hey, thanks thanks for healing me. Here's all this gold and all this stuff. And Elijah says, no, man, it's not time for that. You you take your stuff and, and be on your way. Just know that there's a God in Israel, right? So he heads out. Elijah goes to do his thing. Gehazi now had a choice to make. See, he saw all this gold and all this stuff, right, that Elijah was saying, we don't want it. And he lost 
control. See, he went out and he, he met Naaman on the way back and he says, Hey, uh, Elijah sent me out here uh, just to tell you maybe we could use a few things. Maybe just a little bit of gold, maybe just a little bit of silver, maybe a couple of changes of clothes because I need some. And Naaman says, oh, yeah, no problem. Cool, here you go. And so he goes and he stashes the stuff somewhere and he goes in the house and Elijah says, hey, man, where were you? And he's like, I wasn't anywhere. What are you talking about? And he says to him, don't you know my heart was with you when you went out to meet Naaman? Don't you know that my heart was with you? Don't we know that God's spirit is with us when we make decisions? Right? God is with us always, right? So, so here he is, and, and uh, let's see here. He says this to him, Therefore the leprosy, Naaman, uh, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, white as snow. Here's another example of self-control costing somebody something when they didn't make the right choice. This guy lost an internship with one of the awesomest guys in the Old Testament. Right? It says that he went out from his presence. He was, he was, it was over for him because he lost self-control when he saw something attractive. Right? We've got to be in control of, of our actions, of our attitudes, of the things that we say and the way that we're led. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. So the question I have for you today is, why doesn't God just control us? Wouldn't it be so much easier? Who says, yeah? I say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if God would just put us on the marionette strings of the spirit and just dance us around, and all would be perfect, wouldn't it? It's funny to me that, that even the idea of self-control is even in the Bible because this is talking about self. Aren't I supposed to be spirit-controlled? But yet there's something in here about self-control that Peter wrote about that he wants us to know. Because here's the thing. Let's, uh, well, let's do some reading. Galatians 5.16. It says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and a spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It's a self-control issue, isn't it? He's saying that there's a war between what we should do and what we want to do, what our flesh says we should do and what our spirit says we've got to do that's righteous. And he says this, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, right? And here's where the country, where it gets even more difficult because Peter or Paul says, you're not under the rules that say, do this, don't do this anymore. Now you're led by the Spirit of God who has put his law on our hearts that we should be led by the Spirit of God. So now we don't go back to the, to the book and say, well, it says on line 6, section 3, 700.3c that I'm supposed to do this in this certain circumstance. We don't go back to that. We go to, Lord, how would you direct me? Right? And we listen to our conscience and we listen to the Spirit of God. 
But, but then it goes on and it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives a list of things that, that we know are, are, are things that we do if we're being led by our flesh. He gives us examples. Fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, outbursts of wrath, uh, selfish ambition, uh, disobedient to parents. And then he's, he goes on and he makes a statement about it. And in verse 22 he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he makes a list of things that being controlled by the Spirit is like. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He's making a distinction here that he's not going to control you. He says, if we live by the Spirit, if we make that choice, then let us choose to walk in the Spirit. See, here's the thing. There's nowhere in Scripture that it says, at some point, God is going to give you any new of a nature than he's already given you. He's not going to take a desire to sin from us and and make it disappear. He is training us as we grow closer to Jesus, as we walk with him. We are a work in progress. We have to make the same choices every single day that Adam and Eve made in the garden, whether to choose righteous fruit or disobedient fruit. We have to choose that. There's an awesome little section of, of Scripture that I love, a conversation between the living God and a, a guy named Cain who is angry at his brother. And he's, he sits down with Cain, and he says to him, essentially something along the lines of, of this, sin is waiting at your door, and it's trying to master you. You've got to be in control of it. He was instructing Cain, ministering to Cain. Well, we know the road that Cain chose, don't we? Right? He ended up killing his brother. But God tried to minister to him and tell him, you've got to be, take authority over this thing. He didn't take the temptation away from him. He trained him. And that's what he's doing with us every single day so that each time we have the opportunity to choose between between fruit of the flesh or fruit of the spirit that will come to the place where we're led by the spirit where we say you know what i want to choose righteousness i want to please the lord i want to live for him i'm not going to live in bondage i'm going to live to please the lord before we're saved we just follow emotional desires don't we that's what this is talking about. We just follow along emotional desires before we know the Lord. But once we're walking with the Lord, we have the choice to make other, uh, other choices. We're getting short on time, so I'm going to fly through this. If we want to have a successful life, ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to have a successful life, we've got to have a self-controlled life, not an emotionally controlled life. It's the key to success in life, health, relationships, godliness, and there's a battle that's going on. The whole idea of self-control is that somehow we're to take control of ourself. I mean, that, that is about a battle, isn't it? I mean, there's a, the battle that goes on. And so for every battle, we have to have a strategy to win, don't we? And so I want to talk to you about a strategy real quick. Real quickly. Number one. A couple of ways we can set ourselves up for success. Number one, we've got to remember that that self-control begins with the fruit of the Spirit, right? It begins with God. 
Joshua 1.9 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from you, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may approve... Um, that you may... Uh, 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 let me jump ahead real quick. Um, this, sorry, I'm getting dyslexic all of a sudden. Um, then uh, Do not let this book of the law depart from you, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will prosper, and then you will have good success. My apologies. Um, so here's the thing. We're not bound by the law, right? Jesus is, is, has taken the place of this. When we have a life that is centered around Christ. That's what, that's what this alludes to in Joshua 1.9. When we have a life that is centered around Christ, self-control and success start with Christ. They start with having a life that's centered around Him. So all the decisions that we make revolve around that, revolve around Him. Right? The second thing is, any battle you want to win, speed and adaptability. Everybody say speed and adaptability. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We've got to be quick to make decisions to do what's right. We've got to be quick to make decisions to do what's right. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We've got to get our head in the game. We've got to make decisions early on that I'm going to commit to making right choices. We've got to get our head in the game. We've got to develop a team. And we are actually tremendously blessed at Crossroads because we've got two really good teams. You know what they are? Our women's ministry and our beginning men's ministry. Right? We have a really good team for accountability to help develop righteous life and help develop accountability for making self-controlled choices because God wants you to be successful and it begins with self-control. I'm going to wrap it up with a couple of things. The last thing, uh, second to the last thing is this. When we choose the high road, when we choose the hard way, when we make that self-controlled choice that I'm going to choose righteous fruit, over being emotionally led. We're putting our trust in God, aren't we? Because God says, this is, how I, this is what I have for you that's going to produce promise and blessing and good things. The other is going to produce death in one form or another. When we choose what may be more difficult, the more righteous way, we're choosing to put our trust in His promise that He is for us. And the scriptures say, if he is for you, who can be against you? He's going to produce life in that. And the last one is uh, Philippians 4.13. This is a verse that gets taken out of context a lot. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to bring this down to earth for you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've talked to people who apply this to things like flying off a building. Well, if I jump off of here, I can fly because the Bible says... I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now what it's about. This, the context of, the, of this verse is specifically pertaining to self-control. It's about a man named Paul who has lived a life 
in pursuit of God who has shaped him in his ministry to be to the place where no matter what he's going through, he's content. Whether he has a lot or has a little, whether he's, he's doing great or, or, or bummed out, or no matter what he's going through, he's learned to be content. And then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not a magic potion. It's through walking with God who has shaped him to be sensitive to the Spirit and live a self-controlled life, a Spirit-controlled life, not an emotionally controlled life. All right, let's pray. We're going to wrap things up, but listen, I want to take just a minute before we dismiss Let's just close our eyes and let's just be before the Lord for a minute. Father God, thank you so much for your love towards us. Thank you for Peter who was able to write something that talked about things that we can add to our faith so that we can have a solid, solid faith. And Father, today we talked about adding self-control to knowledge. Father, we want to live self-controlled lives, not emotionally controlled lives. Lord, we want to live live spirit-controlled lives. Father, I just ask that you'd begin shaping something in us, Lord, that would make us bent towards making choices that honor you. And Father, I just want to pray right now for, for anyone here today who, whether it be be uh, failing at a diet or all the way at the other end of the scale, perhaps has left emotional damage in their family because of making choices that weren't self-controlled, that weren't submitted to you before a word was said or before a plan was laid in place. Father, thank you that we can be new in you, that today we can begin again. If that's you today, if you're here and and through some maybe lack of self-control over your mouth or over your actions has left damage that you know is haunting you to this day, I don't want to see any hands up, but I just want you to think about that thing and just bring it before the Lord. And just, just just, think about that thing. Father, you know these things that are on our hearts. Father, I pray right now that you'd begin to bring restoration and reconciliation where, where relationships have been damaged. Lord, for those who are here today who, who say, I don't want to start because, well, I can't do it. Father, I pray today that, that there would be some ownership taken over your word that says, they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. So if you're here today and you need to go to somebody, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If you're thinking about serving in a ministry, but it's too big, I don't know about that, act quickly. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. 
Whatever it is the Holy Spirit has dropped on your heart to pursue that you think is bigger than you, you need to know today. Make self-controlled righteous decisions. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus and you need to know that, that this is where it starts, where we began to, to not make emotionally controlled decisions but self-controlled decisions submitted to God. If that's you today, would you just make eye contact with me? The Bible says that God's mercies are new every day. Whatever you bring to the table today, you can leave here forgiven. You can leave here in right standing with God through Jesus. If that's you today, just look up here at me. All right, Father God, we just thank you so much for your great grace. Father, I ask today that as we set out, Father, that, that our thinking would be different. Lord, that we would make decisions that honor you. Lord, we'd submit decisions to you, the things that we say and the things that we do, Lord God, and you would lead us, Lord, to add self-control to our knowledge because you want us to be a success in every area. And it begins by submitting things to you before we act. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you next week. Have the prayer team come up and... uh... You're going to be to my right, your, your left. If you need prayer, come on up, church. Also, don't forget, we got some furniture that needs moved out there, and uh, I know Angie would appreciate your help. It won't take much time. God bless you guys. Unstoppable God, let your glory go. things in your name they shall be done oh unstoppable God let your glory go on and on impossible things